0: Especially since we just were post now one week um, uh, from Easter and Good Friday, and really celebrating Him, making life um, the last couple of weeks Passover now about Him. And I thought this would be kind of neat if we kind of walk through this journey uh, prophetically about Christ and 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 what He, uh, how we see Him. Now the Old Testament really are types and shadows, which simply means that um, they were they were very. Um, They were very much meant for that moment in time to the Jews. But now then we have it as a book, a canon, that we can see types and shadows or revelations uh, like hints. Hints toward the truth of Jesus who's to come. Literally, you can see Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament if you know how to look for it. And uh, prophetically, they knew that there was a Messiah that was to come. Mashiach, Messiah, that's what it means um, in the Hebrew, which simply means the chosen one, the one who's chosen to take away the sin of mankind. They knew that there would be an ultimate sacrifice. They did not know who it was. They were, they were told that they had to be watchers, had to be watchers of this one who was to come. And so um, there was prophecies that were, that were given throughout Scripture. And there were actually Jews that believed, this was not a, um, this was not a, a, a majority of Jews, but there was a small amount, of, I thought just interesting to share with you today, that believed that there would be two messiahs, basically. And that one messiah would die, would become the, the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of mankind, because you have to pay the price. People say, well, why death? Because the, the wages of sin is death. Sin is that horrific that somebody has to die, but it can't just be any sacrifice, it has to be perfect, the perfect Lamb of God. So, um, so anyways, so th- they believe that there'd be a, a, a Messiah, Mashiach, that would be the one who would die, and then another Messiah that would actually be the one who set up his kingdom, God's kingdom on planet Earth, because they did not understand the resurrection. They didn't understand that one man could do both, could die, sacrifice, be raised back to life again, and set up his kingdom. They all believed it would be on planet Earth, so that when the disciples didn't understand Jesus in those moments in time, they didn't understand. He said, I'm going to build my kingdom. Then he dies. Well, you can understand that would bring a lot of confusion to them because well, I thought we were building this whole thing for you to become the king in, in, in Jerusalem and have a kingdom. Well, he wasn't speaking of an earthly kingdom. He's speaking of a heavenly kingdom that he was preparing for all those who would believe in him and his sacrifice. So that was a small group of people that believed that, but I thought it was interesting to know. And... Um, and there are prophecies that are given the Word of God, but I want to start with Acts chapter 8. And let's read at verse 30. If you don't have your Bible today, trust me, we're going to go through quite a few of them very rapidly so I can show you some things. They'll put up on the screen for me. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. This is after Jesus died, was buried, and raised to life again. And now Philip is a minister, one of his, uh, one of his disciples. And he ran and and he catches up with the man who's reading the the book of Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, and this is what it was. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. What does the gospel of Jesus Christ mean? The gospel means the good news news. It is good news. It's good news that I I have no ability in myself to pay for my own deeds, my wickedness, my sin, but thank God he did and all I have to do now is put my trust in him and he absolves me of all my wrongdoing. It's not my good works, it's his good work on the cross of Calvary and he's living his life sinless and so that's the good news. I don't have to pay the penalty of death, hell, and the grave. He did it for me. And so he's talking to him about The prophet Isaiah prophesying or predicting about the Messiah who is to come. This is so important. By the way, you're never going to read the Old Testament again in the same way. You're going to be looking now for clues of Jesus. You're going to be going, oh my God, yeah, he could be here. And here he is over here. It's types and shadows. You see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. There are over, watch this, there's over 300 prophecies given about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus had to fulfill all of them. If one of them slipped, he could not be the Messiah. That's how accurate the life of Jesus had to be in order for him to be the Messiah. The odds of Jesus just fulfilling one of those prophecies would like be you and I winning the lottery. I don't want to see a show of hands. How many have tried, praise God, and failed, but probably a lot of people, amen. So it's not as easy, uh, uh, it's easier said than done. It's not that easy. So even one of those would be almost the odds are against you completely. So to better understand who Jesus is, what I'd like to do is walk you through, not all of the prophecies of this 300, but I want to walk you through some of them today that I think will arm you and help you to understand who he is and what he should mean to you. Number one is this, is that it was prophesied the Messiah had to be born during the Roman Empire. Uh, Daniel two twenty uh, two uh, verse forty four. Instead of me just reading, let me just say real quick. Daniel has a dream. In the dream, he notices this this um, this figure, and the figure has different components to it, all different things, iron all the way to clay. Okay, each one of those components to that figure, this prophetic dream he had represented an empire or a nation okay the last one was was in fact was in fact rome first one was babylonia second one was Medo persian the third one was the greeks and then it was the romans jesus was born when during the roman era or the roman empire the messiah was predicted that he had to be born during that empire so that's number one it gets way better than that just hang with me number two number two the Messiah must be born of a virgin. That's impossible. That's absolutely impossible in the natural. So it had to be something supernatural that where God could only get the glory. It says in Isaiah, remember Isaiah is written hundreds of years before Christ comes on the scene. In verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us or God walks with us. Jesus was, in fact, God incarnate in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh, walking amongst people to identify with people, to know what people went through, to be tempted like all other men, all other women, yet with no sin whatsoever, to pay the ultimate penalty. So he would be called Emmanuel, God walking with us. They didn't understand what this meant back then. Isaiah's just prophesying what God's telling them to prophesy. Isaiah spoke of a child that would be born of a virgin. So Jesus, the Bible says, was born by Mary who claimed to be a virgin. Again, um, it, it would be like, it would be the, the odds of that, that happening. they're just not, they're, they're not gonna happen. It's impossible because you have to have sex in order for a child to be uh, conceived. So how could she be a virgin? Well, the Bible says that this Mary tells the story and says, look, I, I was minding my own business. By the way, she was just a teenage girl. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. They were on their way to get married. And she has a visitation from God. She's overshadowed by the anointing and spirit of God. And an angel comes and speaks to her and says, the Lord is going to impregnate you with his son. Okay? And you're you're going to conceive. Now, it's not sexual, so don't get that weirdness in your head. It's just a miracle that God was going to do in her body. And so, and she conceives, and she knows she's with child, Right? now watch this we know this has to be the truth because for a woman to admit she's pregnant without being married means she's going to get stoned to death that's what the rules that's what the law was in jewish custom and traditions that was number one number two we had we know something was definitely going on here that had to be of the spirit of god because joseph stays with her after she claims she's a virgin yet she is pregnant how many men would do that they would be like, oh, you're pregnant. You're not a virgin no more. Obviously, you've been messing around on the side. Yet, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he's visited by an angel and said, don't be troubled. What she tells you is the truth. So they're not making up a story where they're going to put their lives in jeopardy and Joseph's not going to make up the story so he can secure his wife because he just walk away from it. They had no children anyways together. He doesn't do that. He stays only because he knows what the Spirit of God is saying to the both of them. She was a virgin just like the prophet said. Also, the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, the origins of this life is before time began. So that that means it's a representation of God. Yet God's going to be born where? In a place called Bethlehem. The Jews were waiting, who studied the scriptures and searched for signs of the coming Messiah. They knew this passage was speaking of the Messiah. They'd be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem. You know the story. At the manger, no room in the inn. They end up in a dirty stall where they fed cows and other animals and that's where Jesus was actually born in a place no no one would ever look for a king number one and number two a city that nobody would ever look for a king and yet just as the prophet predicted Jesus was born right there number four that was prophesied of old that this Messiah would preach in parables it says in Psalm 78 2 I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. In other words, tell you truths that have been kind of hidden for a long time, and I'll bring them to I'll bring them to, I'll bring them to you in what a parable or a story form. Did not Jesus speak in parables? Matter of fact, much of the um, uh, the gospels it says and Jesus spoke to him another parable and then uh, another parable. It even frustrated the disciples. Remember, they said, "Come on." Just tell us straight. Why do we got to play this parable game? Like we got to guess around. Because Jesus wasn't just talking to that generation. He was talking to our generation too. So it couldn't just be for them. It had to be for all generations. And he spoke in a dark saying. In other words, it was something that was not revealed by revelation through a story form. It even frustrated the disciples, but he continued to do it because that's what was prophesied about him. Also, number five, the Messiah would be of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver, a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That's the Old Testament. So it says he'll be born in Judah, or be of the tribe of Judah. And Luke 3.33, speaking of the lineage of Jesus, it says Jesus is of the son of uh, uh, Amadab, he's the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, just like it was predicted in times of old. Uh, number six, the Messiah would have to be the, uh, the seed of King David. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, hundreds of years before Christ. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, okay, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. A branch comes from the stem, David's the stem. The branch of righteousness comes from David and he'll reign executed and he'll execute uh, judgment and he'll reign with righteousness. Well, look what it says in Luke 3.31. It says that Jesus is of the son of Malia, the son of Menon, the son of uh, uh, Mattatha, the son of uh, Nathan, and the son of David. How could you get it down to King David? He he's comes from the rulership of David. Number seven. Number seven, we have this is predicted of old about the coming Messiah. He would have to be a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren. And I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whatever uh, uh, that whatever that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Didn't Jesus go around saying these words, saying something like this? I know he did, said, I can only speak what the Father speaks to me. I can only do what the Father tells me to do. That's what a prophet does. A prophets not life is not unto himself, but unto God. Also, Jesus predicted things. A prophet does that. Also, Jesus saw things in the realm of the Spirit. A prophet does that. Also, a prophet, uh, and Jesus uh, was able to be able to have words of knowledge. That's about people's past. He did that in his ministry as well. Even the great religions, if we can call them that, on the earth... Always say that Jesus was a prophet indeed. Though they don't give him any credence as being the Son of God, they will say, at least say he was a prophet. He had to be. Number eight, um, the Messiah would have to be preceded by a messenger. Malachi 3 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's what the Bible says. Before the Messiah comes, there'll be somebody else that will herald his coming, that will give the message to the world. Now you have to understand something. What have you ever heard of a man named John the Baptist? John the Baptist was, in fact, Jesus' cousin. They were raised together. They fished together. They hunted together. They did life together. A little bit of difference in the family because, one, John the Baptist was the son of a preacher man. His his father was a priest. We get it backwards sometimes. Jesus' daddy was a carpenter or a businessman this is going to get? So it gets a little bit, uh, we get convoluted because we think well Jesus should come from the priesthood but in fact he comes from a businessman just like God to hide his truth where he wants to hide it. And th- now watch this. And so now they, they did life together. They knew each other. They were familiar with one another. John then is called to the ministry of baptism. He spends his time out in the wilderness away from the city. Lives in the crags of the hill. Wears, um, he wears camel hair uh, for his coats and he's got a big leather belt, the Bible says, and a staff and leather shoes. And he goes out there and he baptizes. his His diet was wild honey and locusts. I could deal with the wild honey, but I don't want to eat no locusts. Come on, somebody. That's what he ate every day. And I guess that's he needed some protein. So there he is. And he's baptizing people for the remission of sin. It was, like a, it was like a thing to be able to cleanse them for the time being until the Messiah came because no sacrifices were being done whatsoever in the temple. So now then, he's, he, this is what God called him to do. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And he's talking about the future. He says, everybody, listen to me. I know you all want to follow me. I know i got a lot of followers here on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. Come on. And everybody wants to get a selfie with me. But I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy to tell you about the guy. And the guy has not yet come, but he's going to come on the scene. And for years he's telling us, he's preaching this truth about the Messiah who is living among us. He's about to come. I was born to tell you who he is. Who is he? Don't know yet, but when I see him, I'll let you know. Amen. One day, his cousin comes by. He might have thought, hey, Jesus is coming by just to check me out. Don't know nothing about Jesus except for he's his cousin. But when he sees Jesus, he no longer sees a man in a robe, but he sees the glory of God on him. He sees him as the Son of God, as Messiah. And he he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus baptized me. He said, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to unlock. He's looking at him totally different now. I can't even deal with your sandal straps. Baptize you. What are you talking about? You should baptize me. What does Jesus say? He said, no, you must for the scriptures have prophesied. We've got to fulfill what the word of God has said here today. Woo, that's good stuff can't make this stuff up it's right there historians have put it down so we can't we can't lose it number nine this messiah would have to enter jerusalem on a cult once he told everybody who he was he'd have to enter jerusalem on a cult c-o-l-t not c-u-l-t come on c-o-l-t this is what it says zechariah 9 9 rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout o, o daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in those days, the donkey was for the heavy loads. And so he would ride from wherever he was at to the city of Jerusalem on the donkey. But when he got to the city of Jerusalem, to the gate, he got off the donkey and got on the colt. They had two rides for him, come on. On the colt and rode the colt into Jerusalem. The colt was what? The Bible says a colt that nobody's rode on before. It's a young, come on, just a young cult. In other words, it, it, it was something that was a little rebellious, didn't want anybody on his back. Come on, somebody. Young, wants to do what it wants. And then you got the donkey who's what? Stubborn, set in his ways. Now watch this. Don't get offended with me. This is the truth. So Jesus is saying, look, I came in on the old, but I'm riding all the way in on the new. I came in on the old where God was stubborn and said, look, you got to do it this way. No grace, no mercy. If you mess up, you're done. And now I am the Messiah who's come with a new message that says, God is love. He wants the whole world to know who he is. He's done with the old. He's ready for the new day. Come on. So the message of the gospel is not just any longer for the Jews, but for the Gentile world as well. Number 10, number 10, the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. It says in Psalm 41 verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel and he's done it against me. What does that mean? We fast forward into the life of Jesus. He picks 12 disciples. One of them does what? One of them betrays Jesus. It's he who dips his hand in the cup with me. He will betray me. Now go and do do what you've set out to do and do it quickly. And then when Judas betrays him in the garden, what happens? He kisses, uh, Judas kisses Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says what? Betray you me with a kiss friend. He calls him a friend. In other words, the scripture comes to pass right here in Psalm 41, nine. even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Wow. Number 11, uh, the 11th prediction. The Messiah would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11.12, then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain so they weighed out my wages 30 pieces of silver what was the number what was the amount that was given to Judas for his information of Jesus to betray him 30 pieces of silver number 12 he would be forsaken the Messiah would be forsaken by his own disciples Zechariah 13, seven, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. If you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. What happened on that night when he was uh, taken from the upper room and they went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray and he was alone. And they kept falling asleep and he kept begging him, please stay up with me and watch and pray. And they couldn't, they kept falling asleep. And what happened as a result of that? What happened? He ends up doing what? He says, he's, he's asleep, he comes back, they're asleep, he comes back and says, look, this is what I told you about. And the Roman guard comes. And when they come, he's betrayed in that moment. What happens, Church. He ends up saying these, those words. He said, "You betrayed me with a kiss, friend." And now, then, in the, that moment, he's forsaken. All the disciples move away from him. They're all struck with fear. Nobody stays by his side. Fulfilling what Zechariah thirteen says. Number thirteen. Number thirteen. The money would be thrown in the temple and used to buy the potter's field. Zechariah eleven thirteen. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord uh, for the potter. What happened? Judas says, I can't take the money. I know what I've done. He takes the money and throws it in the temple of God at the feet of the Sanhedrin council. And they say, we can't touch it. It's blood money. It's not ours. And they take the money and buy the potter's field. Exactly the way that was predicted. Number 14. Number 14, the Messiah would be falsely accused by witnesses, by false witnesses. Psalms 35, one, plead my cause. In other words, be my lawyer, be my advocate, O Lord. Plead my cause with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Was he falsely accused over and over and over again? They take a little truth and turn into something big that Jesus never did. Uh, matter of fact, that was the only way Pilate would have taken his life in the first place was because it was, it was out of control lies. 15, um, the, the prediction was that the, the, the Messiah would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Church, all he had to do was tell Pilate, "This is not right. You're not treating me right. I am a Roman citizen, after all, and I'm part of the. I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew, and I want my day in court." He could have said anything he wanted to get out of the problem, but he said not a word. Just as was predicted, sixteen, he would be beaten by his enemies. The Messiah would be Isaiah fifty verse six. I gave my back to those who struck me. Where was Jesus hit the most? Upon his back, stripes were laid upon him, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard—was that not the truth? That was—he walked through the the streets with that cross, and they went up to him and they grabbed chunks of his beard and and pulled it out of, his, out of his face. The rest of the verse says, "I did not hide my face from shame and spitting." Was he not spat upon? Number seventeen, he was both spat on and also beaten. Eighteen, the Messiah would be struck in the head with a rod. Micah 5, Micah 5, 1. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. That's a messianic scripture. Matthew 27, 30. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. I can't imagine this, but it happened. 19. The Messiah would be mocked by other people. Psalms 22, verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. When he was on the cross, what did they say to him? If you are the son of God, come on. Call down angels that they may release you from this cross. Then we'll believe that you are the Messiah. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Then they said, if you are the son of God, certainly your father loves you since you call God your father. Wouldn't he get you off the cross today? If if he gets you off the cross today, we'll believe you. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. They mocked him while he's dying on the cross just as the scripture predicted would happen. 20, his hands and feet would be pierced. Keep in mind. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before the crucifixion was ever invented. For the dogs have surrounded me, Psalm says. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Number 21, men would gamble for the clothing of the Messiah. Psalms 22, 18, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Remember what they did to Jesus? He wore that beautiful seamless robe on the day he was taken out of the garden and they ripped it off of him at the cross and it was at the bottom. While he's dying, they're casting lots to see who's going to win the garment because it was a costly garment. Can you imagine this? Yet the Bible said it would happen. Down to that detail. 22, uh, the Messiah would intercede in prayer for his transgressors, Isaiah fifty three twelve says Jesus made a concession for the transgressors. Did He not say, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do"? Twenty three, He would suffer thirst down to that detail. The Messiah would suffer thirst. Psalms twenty two fifteen. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of the earth. Didn't Jesus on the cross say, "I thirst"? Yes, he did. 24, because of that, they offered him gall and vinegar water. Psalm 69, 21 says, they also gave, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. They also gave me gall for my food and my thirst. For my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. When you understand what that means, gall and vinegar, it was a tonic that when you put it together, it would be like a a pain repressor. It would help you like an exeteran or or Tylenol or something like that. It helps to ease the pain, the suffering that you're going through. And when they put it to his mouth, when he said, I thirst, because he was so thirsty, he couldn't swallow. That's terrible, terrible. Uh, problems that was going on in his body and they put it up there. He would, he refused to drink it. Why? He refused to take anything that would, that would help him in that situation. He wanted to receive all the just punishment for our sin. He would cry. The Messiah had to do this in Psalms 22.1. He had to cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groanings? Didn't Jesus hundreds of years later on the cross of Calvary scream out my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, he did. Do you think for one second that Jesus, who who was on the cross, goes, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to go back in time with my mind and I'm going to go ahead and figure out all the prophetic scriptures about me. I got to remember to say those while I'm on the cross, dying so that I can prove to everybody I'm who they say I'm not, that I'm actually the Messiah. Can you imagine? He can't even think straight. Have you ever been in pain so bad you couldn't even think straight? All he could think to do was try to survive the next breath, holding himself up on that nail, doing what he could just to make it another second, and now he's gonna go, hmm, what I'm gonna say right now is, I thirst. And what I'm gonna say right now is, um, oh yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Make it good, make it good. I mean, That'd be ridiculous. Yet he says every single thing that was predicted of him. In number 26, uh, the Bible says the Messiah would be cut down in his prime. Psalms 89, 45. The days of his youth have you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Selah, which just means to, to look at the point, pause and ponder. Think about it. Did not Jesus die at 33 and a half years of age in the prime of his life? 27, almost done. None of his bones were to be broken. The Messiah, no bone would be broken. Psalms 34, 20, he guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Why is that significant? Why would that even be in the Bible? Why would that be there? Because you have to look at the crucifixion. And the crucifixion was hours and hours and hours on the cross. The, only, the reason why is because they were pretty healthy men. That went to the cross, and so it took a while to asphyxiate f- them. They had the strength to keep pushing up on that nail, even though it was extremely painful. But Jesus didn't suffer just crucifixion, but also the scourging. Most nobody went through both because they would die too soon. But Jesus did what? He's on the cross. They check to see if he's still alive. He was dead. The others, they wanted to get rid of quickly, and this is how they got rid of them, to die quickly. They come around with a big stick, and they break the kneecaps. Of the, of the prisoner. So they could no longer push up on the nail to get in the air. But Jesus, they didn't touch one bone. That one bone was broken. Come on. Woo! I'm almost done, but hang in there. The Bible says that they would look upon the Messiah whom they had pierced. Zechariah 12, 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Number 29. Number 29. He would be executed by with, with the sinners. Isaiah 5312 prophesied, he was numbered with the transgressors, and Jesus stood between two thieves on that cross. And lastly, 30, and this is only 10% of the prophecies, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, is what the prophecy said. Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich, but the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It was speaking about the Messiah, and a man named Joseph of Arimathea said I know you don't have a tomb for him nobody was prepared for his death but I have a tomb prepared for me I'm a wealthy man let's lay him to. it'd be my honor let's lay him to rest there just as Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before and it goes on and it goes on this Jesus we serve isn't something we have to just receive by faith yes we do receive it by faith but we got one account one historical account after the other after the other after the other to let us know he was who he said he was and if he is who he said he was, that he's not dead any longer, but he has risen from the grave. Come on. And he's coming back for you and I.